Our sermon text is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. This text is a portion of Paul's letter to his beloved friends and fellow Christians in Philippi. Remember, Paul is writing this to them while he is imprisoned in Rome. Now hear Paul's words. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment. And more, I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to have eyes to see the riches that are available to us in Christ, that we would see your provision supernaturally, materially, and also relationally, that we would see that you have offered us gifts that have immeasurable value because they are gifts in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray for your guidance through this text. We pray that we would be able to say with Paul that we have learned the secret uh, to knowing him who strengthens us in every possible way. We thank you for your word to guide us and to instruct us, and we pray that our minds and hearts would be attentive to it now. In Christ's name we pray these prayers. Amen. Well, this is our last part in an 11-week series uh, on the letter to the Philippians. And it's been so rich as we've gone through the letter. It's one of those letters that you can read in about 15 minutes. um, And yet there's so much here and so much that the Apostle Paul wanted to communicate to Philippian believers and so much that God in his good providence 
has given to us even today through the pen of Paul writing to Philippian believers almost 2,000 years ago, and yet we benefit from these very words. I want to remind you of something I said in the first sermon of the series and also something John repeated when he preached from chapter 2 at the end of October, and that's this summary. The whole letter to the Philippians centers around this idea of rejoicing in what Christ has done. So it's really the whole thing. The letter emphasizes the joy of the gospel as it provides grounding and confidence for suffering and service. Christ's action produces deep gratitude and confidence, which enables the believer to follow in the cruciform, remember being conformed to the cross, way of humility and self-denial. And as I've said again and again, that's something we see in every single part of this letter. We've seen it every single week, and I wanted to remind you as we close this series and we move into Advent next week that this is the point of the whole letter. And it's also relevant because our text this morning focuses on Paul's contentment regardless of his circumstances. The secret to his contentment, as we will learn, is Christ. It is out of that deep gratitude for what Christ has done that has led him to this secret that allows him to be content in any and every situation. It's also the motivating factor behind the Philippians' generosity. The reason they have partnered with Paul is because they are partners in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hold things loosely because they are deeply grateful for what Christ has done for them. Now, sometimes these ending sections of New Testament letters seem sort of irrelevant. Often they're filled with lists of names, and we do get a little bit of that with the closing greeting. No names, but just a generic greeting. And we may have a tendency to skip over them. In fact, they're not the heart of the letter. But that's never advisable, and part of the benefit of preaching just continuously through a book of Scripture is that we don't skip parts that may strike us as insignificant, but are ultimately rich and full of truths that we need to hear. And these final verses are just that. These final verses are all about the Lord's gracious provision. We see the Lord providing for Paul supernaturally. And what I mean by supernaturally, it's above the natural, right, in a non-material way. Because Paul has this secret of contentment and it doesn't matter about his circumstances. We see the Lord providing materially uh, when he gives, uh, when the Philippians give generously to Paul. Uh, That is God's good provision through his people for Paul and for the advancement of the gospel. And finally, we see the Lord providing relationally with other believers, brothers and sisters that he can cling to and be supported by. Brothers and sisters that are apparently comforting him even as he's in prison. And again, all of this is rooted in the gospel. In the advance of the gospel that Paul talked about in chapter 1, when he says my imprisonment really has served to advance the gospel, brings glory to the God of grace. So with that said, let's take a look at the first section. I've got three points that just kind of outline the text for us. And the first one is Paul's secret of contentment. And you see it in verses 10 through 13. In 10 through 13, Paul describes the supernatural provision of the Lord. So look at verse 10 with me. 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you, you had no opportunity. So they had no opportunity before, but notice he's expressing gratitude for the concern that they now have for him, given his circumstances. He's expressing gratitude for the generosity of these believers. And notice he rejoices in the Lord greatly. It's all about rejoicing in the Lord. And we'll see more of this later in the passage. But for now, note that he didn't view his lack or his not having the material things that he maybe um, would have, that most people would have assumed he needed. Note that he didn't view that as a problem. In verse 11, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I'm not talking about being in need. I'm not lacking anything. Why? Because I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he goes on in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. Being full. He talks about having nothing and abounding with goods. And this is all a rhetorical device. Like when we say everybody loves it from young and to, uh, to old. It's a way of saying both extremes and then everything in between. So Paul's saying in whatever situation, whether it's an extreme situation or it's somewhere in between... I am content. I have learned the secret of being content. And this word in the original that translates, I have learned the secret. It's one word in the original. It's a really interesting word. And the translation captures the sense pretty well because the idea is that Paul has been let in on a secret. He has been initiated into a mystery. Paul has learned something that isn't common knowledge. He's learned something that's valuable, something that not everybody knows. And what has he learned? Well, that's in the next verse, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Many of you probably know this verse in the more common form, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, and that's a fine, fine way of putting it. The, the issue there is Christ isn't in the original text, the underlying text. So most translations provide it because it's assumed that that's who Paul's talking about. And I agree, it is very clear that's who Paul is referring to. He just said in verse 10 that he rejoices in the Lord. And then he spent all of chapter 3 talking about how he strives after Christ to know him and, and to be found in him. So he spent a great length of chapter 3 talking about that. So it's clear here that when he says, the one inside me, the one who is working within me, I can do all things through him who is enabling me to do things that are not possible, enabling me to do things that are supernatural. And this is the Lord's gracious provision. Now, this verse has been misused a lot, which isn't surprising. I used to write Philippians 4.13 in the top of my baseball hats. It didn't ever help me hit any home runs. Um, and, and I've noticed on a number of athletes, at least before some of the new rules came, came around, you would sometimes see it on iBlack, uh, Phil 413. 
It doesn't help them win football games, just to be clear, despite what people may think. I think I've told you the story in the church growing up that we had a testimony time, and this was in West Virginia, and a man got up and said that, I'm so grateful because we saw God working in West Virginia University football yesterday, and we won. So, so we want to stray away from any notion that, you know, because I wrote this in my hat, I had supernatural ability to hit baseballs further or, or you know, any, any sort of athletic ability. Paul's not concerned about that, in, in case we haven't figured that out. Paul is concerned with this inner tranquility despite his circumstances, For Paul, he's talking about a secret of contentment that's not contingent upon his circumstances. He speaks of it as this inner peace that is active in spite of having plenty or in spite of having nothing. And the secret to his contentment is Christ. There is one, he says, working in him that gives him a supernatural ability to find contentment regardless of the circumstances. This is the power of Christ. And the good news for us is it's possible for each of us to have the same experience. We can commune with Christ in such a way that we can be transformed so that when we look at our situation, whatever that situation is, we can say with Paul, I have learned the secret being content because there is one who is at work in me who is enabling me supernaturally to do things that I wouldn't be able to do in and of myself. God offers this gift to his people. This is part of his provision, that he sustains them regardless of the circumstances. And history has shown this to be true time and time again. And we don't even have to go to history. We can look at our brothers and sisters in many locations all around the world who are suffering, and yet the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is sustaining them in these really difficult situations. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is active in the life of every believer. The only real question for us is, are we pressing into that reality? Because it is a reality. It's true. The Spirit has been poured out on every believer. Everyone who is in Christ is indwelt by the Spirit. By definition, that is what it means to be a Christian. By definition, that's what it means to be born again. To have the Spirit change us and indwell us in such a way that something new is inside. And as we press into this reality, we can learn this secret that Paul, and as I've said... Hundreds of thousands of Christians have known. Christ has enabled Paul to give up everything, to dismiss all of his worldly success. Remember chapter 3, he looks at it all and he says it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. What matters is Christ and Christ alone. Christ has enabled Paul to find peace in every situation, even in a prison where he finds himself in the text of this letter. And we see that it's not just Paul. We also see that the Philippian believers are enabled to hold their possessions possessions loosely because Christ is at work in them. So that brings me to the second point. Second point is this, the Philippians' God-exalting generosity. You'll see this in verses 14 through 20. The Lord has provided for Paul through his people. 
The Philippians have supported Paul even when nobody else did. Even though it wasn't necessary for his survival. Even though he didn't need it for his contentment. Their support has provided comfort to him. But more importantly, their support has brought glory to God. The generosity of the Philippians is God exalting. Look at verses 14 through 17. We'll just kind of take a larger paragraph here. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. How did they share? in the trouble, not by being imprisoned with him, but by showing him generosity, by giving him what he needs. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So there's a long history here. The Philippians have provided for Paul in the past when nobody else did. They were partners in the gospel. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and then again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So the Philippians have stood out among all the rest. When nobody else was willing to support Paul, to enter into this gospel partnership, into this unique relationship, they supported Paul. And this means that they have a unique and special relationship. I pointed that out to you throughout this letter. That this letter is Paul sharing with people he loves and cares about deeply. And they haven't just done this once, by the way. Notice it says they did this once and then again. So we know that they've been consistent in their generosity. And more significantly, it shows that the Lord is at work in their lives. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 17. He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's not interested in the gift itself. He says, I, I can get by without the gift. It's helpful, yes, but he can get by without the gift. But what he's really interested in is this fruit that increases to your credit, which is a way of saying their generosity brings glory to God because it is the product of the Spirit of Christ who is working within them. That's the fruit. That's the product of a life that is lived in Christ. It's evidence of their salvation. It increases to their credit. And that is immensely valuable. And Paul looks at their lives. He says, I can see the Spirit of God at work in you. I can see what God's doing. Your generosity is fruit or evidence or a product of the Spirit at work in you. And you know what? That can never be taken away. The gift is a great thing, but it's temporary. What really matters is this fruit that will be given to your credit for all of eternity can never be taken away. He goes on in verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They haven't been stingy. They've been abundantly generous, supplying Paul with more than he needs. But then notice his descriptions. He refers to their gifts as two things. Number one, a fragrant offering. And number two, an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice to God. So these gifts aren't really about Paul. They're not really about the Philippians. They are God-exalting. They are offerings ultimately to the Lord. This 
fragrant offering that is pleasing to the Lord, picking up on the language of the Old Testament sacrifices and all the offerings that were brought into bear there. And then he says that this is an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice to God. Again, continuing that language because the Lord is pleased by them. He is glorified by them. He is exalted by them. He's pleased by them. Now, have you ever considered that our generosity isn't really about practical matters? Okay, that's, that's part of it, but that's not really what motivates generosity. It's not really out of a sense of obligation. Okay, that's, that shouldn't be the motivating factor. Our generosity is really about exalting God. The Lord is pleased by this type of support. You know, supporting others who are partnered in the gospel is pleasing to the Lord. This is real partnership, which we see in verse 15, where he mentions that very word, that you entered into partnership. No church did that, but you did. You entered into partnership in the gospel. So the gift is loaded. It's not just giving some money. It's entering into partnership, gospel partnership, which is all about Christ. I do have to commend you because Monument Heights is an incredibly generous congregation. Let me encourage you in light of that to maintain that generosity with a view toward the gospel. Okay, we don't want to fall into the trap of just saying, well, we're generous. Look at all our funds and all of our good things that we're doing. What we want to focus on is gospel partnerships, right? Partnering with others who are laboring in the gospel. What we want to do as a congregation is we want to continue focusing on exalting the Lord through our generosity. What we want to do is find ways to link arms with others who are serious about making the name of Jesus known. We're not just a nonprofit. We're not here just to, to do things that make us feel good. We are here to exalt God and make the gospel known through our generosity. And Paul tells the Philippians that the Lord will continue to provide for them in Christ Jesus. And I think this is a promise we can hold on to as well. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Just let that final part sink in because it is as convoluted as it sounds. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's one of these phrases where we catch a glimpse of the sheer magnitude of what God offers us in Christ. It's incomprehensible. The the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's It's not just this generic notion. It is what we have in Christ. Notice how both Paul's contentment and the Philippians' generosity means holding things loosely. See, neither Paul nor the Philippians are clinging to the goods of this world. What the Puritans um, often referred to as creature comforts. The goods of this world. Creature comforts. Why aren't they clinging to those things? Because they know there is something better for them in Christ. Something they can never lose. Something that can never be taken away. And something that surpasses everything else in all of the universe. That's what they know. That's the secret. They know that they have these riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
that these are theirs, not because they've earned it, not because they've, they've done anything for it, but because Christ has made them his own. They are in Christ Jesus. And so we might wonder at this point, what, what does this look like practically for us? What, what sort of practical approach could we take from this text? I think the biggest thing here is we need to create distance between us and the world. And I don't mean stepping out of the world, but just as I'm reflecting on this and, and thinking about this text this week, I realize that we are so bound up in the cares and concerns and the goods of this world. And I say we very inclusively here. Right? Pastors are not immune to this sort of thing. We are so bound up, we're so concerned, and, and some of it's out of necessity, but some of it is just the world and the culture we live in right now. But what's so important is creating a little bit of distance between what is ultimately, even in this text, insignificant and what is ultimately significant. What I mean by that is this is why prayer and scripture and worship, like what we're doing right now, like it's really weird. You take your Sunday morning and you gather together and you sing songs with other people, you know, about an invisible God. That's really important though because you're creating distance in a world that is so caught up with the things it can see and touch and feel. And we're here to worship and be cultivated and have a different mindset. So prayer and scripture and worship and silence and meditation, etc., are so important because what they do is they introduce that distance from the world, the creature comforts, all the things that vie for our attention, and they allow us to step into this supernatural reality of who we are in Christ and to recognize that there is one who is at work in us who enables us to do things that we could never do in and of ourselves. All of these practices, these spiritual habits, create distance from the things that compete for our attention. We need the separation so that we can bask in the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. I say all that, too, uh, with a little bit of a view to the future. We're, we're getting ready next week to wrap up our Sunday school time in the creeds and confessions we've been looking at. One of the things we want to do in February is a more practically oriented approach. So we won't be talking about creeds and confessions, but we will be talking about the Christian life and, and how the Christian life is cultivated and formed and nurtured and all of that. It, it will be very practical. But the idea is in these habits or in these routines or in these practices, whatever word you find helpful here, that form us and shape us so that we can be the type of people that we read about even here, that we could even maybe come near saying what Paul says, I've learned a secret, that Christ enables me to do all things. As always... Everything is about the glory of our God. If you want to know what Scripture is about, it's about the glory of our God. If you want to know what sort of book it is, it's a book about the one true God. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It sounds like the book should close there, but there's a customary greeting that follows. But notice in the final movement of the letter, we see God providing and then so that turns into this gratitude we've talked about again and again. To our God and Father be glory. Why? 
Because Paul is deeply grateful for the supernatural provision he's found in Christ and also the material provision that the Philippians have provided. But there's a third point here. The communion of saints. Because here we see God providing through relationships and also advancing the gospel of grace according to his plan. Look at verse 21 with me. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Notice what makes them saints. They are saints in Christ Jesus. They're not saints in themselves. They're saints because of their identity in Christ Jesus, by their connection to Christ Jesus, by their union with Christ Jesus. That is what makes them saints. That is their identity, and it is a special and unique identity, which is why Paul makes a point to say, greet them, because there is a unique relationship Because they are united to Christ. And he says that these brothers, and as I've told you many times, this word is inclusive. It includes sisters as well in many cases. He says that these brothers and sisters greet them. Then he goes on in verse 22 to include this really encouraging bit of news. It's one of my favorite places in all of Scripture. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household especially those of Caesar's household. Remember what he said in chapter 1. He told the Philippians that his imprisonment actually was a good thing. Why? Because the gospel was advancing and it had become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And I told you that most likely that imperial guard is a reference to, or praetorium guard, is a reference to a special government contingent of soldiers. And now as he closes this letter, he says, oh, by the way, the saints within Caesar's own household The most powerful man in the Roman Empire, and whether this is some sort of, you know, household that's lower, like a governor's household, or actually associated with Caesar, uh, specifically his household, can be debated. But in any case, you have this people in the Roman government who have now heard the gospel and have received the gospel and are now saints in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, by the way, they greet you too. That's encouraging. It's encouraging for the Philippians because it can embolden them to go forward knowing that God will provide, God will advance the gospel, God will do what God has planned to do. If they just simply are willing to be on board, they will get to experience that. So Paul is in prison and he's preaching the gospel. And he's letting the Philippians know once more that God is providing. God is extending his grace to the heart of of the Roman Empire. Can you imagine this? I mean, remember where all this started? Jesus is a rural Galilean. He's named from the city of Jerusalem. And his disciples are mostly fishermen, rural, blue-collar fishermen. And now we have Paul, who's talking about saints in Caesar's household. You see how God has provided, how God has opened the doors for the advancement of the gospel, in spite of the circumstances how he sustained Paul so that this could happen. God has been working to do all of this due to his gracious provision. It's all on the basis of what he's already done in Christ. It's remarkable. Then the letter closes with verse 23, which really sums everything up. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The whole letter has been about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
whole letter has been about how Christ humbled himself. Remember that great Christ hymn in chapter 2. The one who is equal to God in every way, fully God, emptied himself and became a servant so that he might serve you and me. It's all about gratitude for the gospel of grace. Everything is changed by what Christ has done. The world is changed. The entire future is changed. And everyone who is in Christ is changed. Paul, for example, abandoned all the prestige, all the achievements for the sake of Christ. And he says, I count them as lost. They don't matter. The Philippians are sharing their possessions to support the advance of the gospel because they know what matters. So when Paul closes by mentioning the grace of the Lord being with them, that captures the whole letter because it is the grace of the Lord that sustains Paul in prison and it will sustain the Philippians. And guess what? It will sustain you and me. That's the good news. Our only task, because God has done everything for us in Christ, our only task is to remain grounded in the gospel. To make sure our feet are planted on the gospel. To not lose sight of the gospel, even when distractions are everywhere. Even when people tell us, if we do this, then our church will explode. The gospel has to be priority. To ensure that the main thing is the main thing. That the gospel is the main thing. Then, then according to this passage and according to the whole letter to the Philippians. Like what we saw last week, the God of peace will be with us. Then we will experience the Lord's gracious provision. God will supply every need, Paul says. God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is what we have available to us in Christ. It's like a safe of incredible worth and value. And God is willing to lavish it upon his people. He does not hold back. It's wide open for us. It's wide open. And it will sustain us in a multitude, in every situation that we find ourselves in. Well, as we close and before Rupert comes to pray the pastoral prayer, I just want to leave you with one invitation as we reflect on the letter to the Philippians and as I sort of wrap it up there. Just ask yourself, has the gospel of grace gripped you in the way that we've seen in the letter to the Philippians? Has it gripped you that way? This isn't to shame you or make you feel guilty. It's just a question to challenge yourself this morning with. It's a question to see if it's something you need to bring before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to be gripped by the grace of the gospel. I need to have this gratitude. I want to see it. And you know what? The Lord is good and faithful, and he will show you. He will show you what is yours in Christ. All right. As Rupert comes, I, I will also extend this invitation. He, he'll be outside this morning. I'll be in the library again. That worked well. The coffee pot's already on, the Keurig. So we're, we're ahead of the game. Lee set that up for us graciously this morning. But I would love uh, for you, so if you go down out this hall, take a right. The library's down there on the left. I'll be in there. I'll be glad to talk with you uh, just so we can get a chance to talk one-on-one or something like that without the rush of a crowd. So I'll be there, um, but Rupert is coming to uh, lead us in our pastoral prayer now.
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your loving care for us, your abiding love for all of us. I pray for our church family in this season of the year, for those who are in the hospital now, who've had surgery, who are awaiting surgery, those who are rejoicing, those who are grieving, those who have concerns. We ask that you come in comfort and care for all as only you can. We ask that you allow us to be your light to this world, starting on the corner here of Monument and Libby, as we go through this week and days ahead, that we would share your good news. We pray this in the special name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.